0: Welcome to the first edition of the Canadian Crew Podcast of 2018, and the first one recorded in Vancouver. I'm Jorge Castillo. Interior British Columbia is having a moment. Two indie thrillers shot in sleepy communities east of Vancouver are hitting the screen this winter. Sweet Virginia, filming Hope, and Hollow in the Land, shot in Castlegar. The director of Hollow in the Land, Scooter Kirkle, grew up in Castlegar and used his inside knowledge to capture the milieu of the community. The setting gives the movie a realistic vibe and a degree of freshness, a reminder that the VC tax credit works all the same within and outside Vancouver. I had the chance to talk at length with Scooter Korkle. We discussed the casting of Diana Agron, who is both understated and superb as the lead, the challenges of shooting in Castlegar, and his other project currently chipping up across the border. Scooter Korkle, thank you for attending the Canadian crew. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, well, Scooter, uh, I would like you to introduce the movie Hollow in the in the Land. Sure, for yeah. For writers, readers.
1: Writers, uh, so for just... the writers and the readers. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of writers as readers. Well, I hope uh, so. Yeah, no, Hollow in the Land is a it's a small-town dramatic thriller. Uh, it takes place in a very small town called Casagar, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. That is my hometown. Um, I spent about 18 years there. Uh, and it follows Alison Miller, who's... Um, brother is missing from the scene of a murder, mm-hmm. and presumed to be the murderer. So she has to try and track him down before the police do. Um, but the deeper she looks, the more sort of the town secrets come about, and soon she's uh, a fugitive herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the, the baseline of the story, and then um, thematically across the board, it's, it, it really touches on um, having the wrong last name in a small town. So the miller's last name is, uh, is tarnished by their father who went to jail to prison a, a, a year prior um, for accidentally, but still uh, murdering a child mm-hmm. um, with his truck, vehicular homicide, and uh, yeah, there's still the stigma that uh, hangs over them from the town. Okay. is still really rife throughout the story, and it's and it's more Allison trying to sort of believe in herself and believe in her family name as much as it is trying to track her brother
0: down. I have been in Castlegar a couple of times. I being was so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who knew, right? Well, I mean, normally it's not that
1: exciting. There isn't like a murder and like a crazy, you know, thrillery thing and somebody on the run within the town itself. That doesn't happen too often, but there are some good drug running stories at least and there's a lot of weed that grows up in the hills, yeah.
0: Yeah, one of the things I noticed about of your film is that they certainly, to, you try to capture the youth milieu within the within the town. Mm. As this event happens, like as a background, yeah. obviously you have a uh, first-hand knowledge of this yes. uh, of what's going on. Yeah. So it does feel a little aimless. Like you, you do feel a little stuck in Castle mm-hmm. Was that the situation? That, that is that you definitely did? intentional.
1: Um, it is a place that is, uh, you know, wide open landscapes. There's a lot of forests, and at any time you potentially could escape this zone. But the idea that you know as a member of the community, as uh, somebody who kind of grew up there and has the name that everybody knows, um, we've tried to create sort of a sense of uh, of of being trapped mm-hmm. um, in the town and I mean we did a lot of that through cinematography as well everything's on a shoulder, everything's handheld and everything follows her so as the audience gains information, she gains information at the exact same time so we never really try to let the audience have more information than she does. Um, and that was, yeah, intentional in order to sort of drive us along and not cop out on, you know, certain thriller tropes of knowing what's going to happen as an audience member and not knowing that the character might or might not know what the hell's going on. Right. So yeah, that that sense of um, you know being trapped is is definitely adds to, I think, uh, the challenge that Allison finds herself in.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, um, well, besides your background there, um, what what is, what is the genesis of the story? Like what. Mm. It was there a specific point how long you 've been developing developing the story yeah um, we 've been i guess I, I
1: originally came up with the idea of making a small town thriller right. um, in my hometown like eight or nine years ago or something. I watched the movie Brick. right uh, with Ryan Johnson, who directed that directed, and he shot I believe all the school stuff was in it his high school, mm-hmm. and I thought that was so cool I was like, I want to shoot in my high school. that would be really interesting, mm-hmm. so originally it, you know it was a movie that wanted to be i also love small town hockey players because we have like a in canada it's obviously a huge hockey's church you know um and yeah, <laughs> small like towns. The
0: small town celebrities yeah yeah they are i'm, I'm yeah, familiar absolutely. with this uh me- mechanic if you will yeah yeah yeah
1: they uh i, I really kind of wanted to find that movie and make that movie about you know, the, the small town hockey answer, and how, you know, it's like, oh, we went up there, you know, we, uh, they gave it their all, and we gave it their all, we just uh, came out on top, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, we gave it 110%, that's it. And they're just these like straightforward, hilarious hockey answers, mm-hmm. um, or sporting answers in general. And I was like, can I base a movie around that? And throughout the years, it developed into this, um, more so into this uh, thriller.
0: I can say have followed Diana Agron's career. Mm. Like I knew that she was in. i knew i was aware of her in glee from glee yeah I saw her small a small part on uh novitiate, yeah, but I can't really say made a an impact or i mm. registered. so I was very surprised how good she is like she's very <laughs> like she's very understated as an actress, she's, yeah, but she gets the point across mm. like how did you zero on her um well. Yeah, that's
1: interesting. Because when we originally started, and people have said this a few times about Run, um when we first started going through even the screenplay, I wanted to I wanted to pick uh, like a you know like an American cheerleader style woman, and then uh, put her in the small town mm-hmm. um, as you know like a blue collar lesbian uh, in a small town. It's like you're two pegs low already because you're a lesbian and you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to kind of. Attach that to the uh, sort of the bones of the story and of the movie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, the, having the wrong last name was where the movie really started. That was kind of the idea, being in an insular town, moving from there. So, having the wrong last name, being a woman, being a lesbian were just like three crazy cool things to try and attach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think somebody who needed an opportunity to shine or needed an opportunity to kind of play outside of their type. And I was specifically looking for the cheerleader that needed an upgrade. And it just so happened that she was a a, a a physical cheerleader. cheerleader. For a
0: while, she was like the ultimate cheerleader. She
1: was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I honestly, when we were doing uh, casting, I didn't even know who she was, because I'd Mm -hmm. never seen Glee, Mm i never hit my radar. Um, And so we partnered with uh, Brian Kavanaugh-Jones and Chris Ferguson. Uh, Chris Ferguson's with Odd Fellows Entertainment here in Mm -hmm. Vancouver. And Brian Kavanaugh-Jones has a company called Automatic. Um, in LA and he used to be a, an agent at CAA um, and he's like a pretty big name as far as executive producers go in mm-hmm. in Hollywood so we through you know a bunch of different circumstances he ended up with the script and was like let's get this movie made um, I'm going to introduce you to CAA so they did and CAA gave you know they jumped on board quite quickly because a lot of their base is like, this is a great character piece for mm-hmm. somebody looking to play outside of type. so they sent me you know I think I interviewed about a dozen women who I have, like so much respect for. It was really kind of surreal um, to be interviewing these people and I was really poor at the time, living in like a tiny little bedroom with like a loft bed so I was mm-hmm. Skyping you know Allison Pill. Um, from a loft bed or Emily Tipton from like, you know, I've got my loft bed in the background. <laughs> um, trying to explain to them why they should be in my movie. Right. like, you know, Diana was our first interview and she actually read for it. Um, so like Olivia, uh, Olivia Thurlby, she read for it. Emily Tipton read for it. Um, I got to talk to Ashley Benson and all of these incredible women. Um, and yeah, it just, she nailed it. You know, mm-hmm. Diana nailed it, it was always Diana. Um, there was different versions of this film. Uh, I really, it was Annalie Tipton's read was so good. I really wanted to cast her. Um, and yeah, anyways, um, not to talk about him ad nauseum, but uh, Diana really, she read for it and she nailed it. Mm-hmm. One point it went away and then went to somebody else completely different and then came back right. around. And she was never, you know, worried that it wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how do you get a script to CAA? That, that's not a small feat. It's not a simple feat, no. Yeah, uh, especially to get it to multiple agents in CAA um, and it's really, it was really Connections, I mean, you know, you talk about film being who you know and that's really how this came about because mm-hmm. I i Was in film school around the same time as Chris Ferguson. What did you go to film school? At the Arts Institute. Okay. In Burnaby. Um and yeah, I was friends with Chris Ferguson, and then uh, I brought on Jesse Savath to produce it, who's really good friends and has been producing um, with Chris or starting to produce. So this is Jesse Savitz for first full feature as a producer as well, mm-hmm. um, which seemed like a good pairing. So when I did approach him, I was obviously conscious of that. Um, so yeah, I brought Chris on, or I mean, I brought Jesse on, who brought Chris on, and then Chris brought BKJ on um, because of a different project that I wrote that has been making the rounds through LA um, called Chloe and Ati, which is um, based on my short film Mm -hmm. of the same name. And that one is, you know, a lot bigger. It's like an $8 million movie, really exciting. We got a ton of good buzz on it, um, and he wants to make that movie. So then he's like, let's get your first one made, so then we can do
0: this one after. Okay, we should get back to that at the end. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Um, so how long long was the shooting?
1: Uh, Shooting was about 19 days.
0: Or 20 days,
1: I guess, with a. We did a pickup day here. Um, and we had like a half stunt day too. We're throwing people off the mountain and stuff, just fun. Okay, yeah.
0: And obviously, you had Diana for the length of the yes. 19 days. And I imagine you had Sean for a few. Uh... Sean
1: came in for the last week, Rochelle came in for the last week, and Michael Rogers came in for the last week. How long you had the art? Jared. We had him intermittent, so he came in for, you know, a couple of days in the beginning of the schedule and then a couple days at the end of the schedule.
0: But you didn't shot chronologically? No. No? Okay. No,
1: no, no, no. Um, all of the climax we shot at oh, the end of the you schedule.
0: because you had, no, yeah. never mind. And we had Hell Week in the middle
1: <laughs> and like, yeah, it was a whole bunch of stuff, yeah.
0: Now Jared is like, right now he's poised to be He's blowing next... up. Yes. Yeah. So when do you, get, when do you get cast him in, the, in your film? Like right after Hello Destroyer or before even?
1: Yeah, it was right after Hello Destroyer. Um, that was not an offer though, he did read for it. Uh, we, cause Jared's a good friend from Vancouver, from the scene in mm-hmm. Vancouver. And I'm good friends with, you know, Kevin Funk and Ben Loeb, um, who are the team behind, and Danny Demachowski, who's a producer on Hello Destroyer and the team behind Destroyer. Right. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I guess he sent in a tape, um, and another uh, guy, Theo, um, from uh, who's about to blow up, too? Uh, Theo Pellegrin, who's in Never Study, Never Still. He's right. the lead in that. Uh, and he, it was like between them and Dave Lennon, who ended up playing Tyler, mm-hmm. who I, I'm a big fan of. Um, but Jared's just, you know, Jared's like a force to be reckoned with. That guy can just throw it down. And this was kind of the perfect character for him because it's, you know, he's, he used to be an MMA fighter. He's, uh, he always plays these kind of boxer roles and these like tough guy roles. Mm-hmm and it kind of really fit for him because, you know, he might be like a wounded soul, but he's still a tough guy at heart, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Jared just really sat well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now, um, tell me a bit about the financing process. How did you, how did you put the, obviously you had producers, mm-hmm. and, but then yeah. again, they actually, they actually need to get uh, the movie <laughs> exactly, made, yeah. so.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we had Telefilm interested early, mm-hmm. uh, And Elevation Pictures came on very early um, in order to spark telephone. I don't know if spark's the right word, but uh, without. You need 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 a distributor to get the money, Exactly, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, so Brian, that's kind of his job. is Every good EP, their job is to find you cast and financing, and those are not mutually exclusive. Right. Because with cast comes financing. So we had to attach. It's a really complica- complicated thing. Financing movies is... I don't know how any movie gets financed. Um, we had to attach a distributor before we had cast to then get Telefilm mm-hmm. um, to get all the other money. So Telefilm says, yes, we have this money. Now we're on the hook to find the rest of the money. So we needed to get cast before we could get financing, but then we had to tell cast that we had financing in order to you know, trigger everything. Right, the one I get. Paid. Um yeah, and they have to know that it's going for them to sign on, you know. Yeah. So it was like a real, its a lot of back and forth, um, and tax credits obviously came in, came in big uh, to really kind of get that. But yeah, basically EPs, that's, that's kind of how any movie gets.
0: Financed. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, what were the main logistical issues that you faced? When, what time of the year did you shoot? Uh, we shot in the, the fall.
1: Top. Okay. Um, we shot like October, just before the snow hit in November. Okay. Um, Were you praying that it wouldn't snow? Oh my God, every day. And it started to get really cold. There was like frost on the cars and you know, nothing's gonna match if it pukes snow up in the Kootenays, which the Kootenays pukes snow, that's just what they do. Um, so yeah, logistically, you know, bringing everybody up there and hoping that none of our gear backfires or anything like that, our budget was a huge uh, hard piece because um, I think like our operating budget, you know, was five to 750, 500,000 to 750 or somewhere in there, operational. So um, we had to bring all of our gear up and we couldn't afford certain people. So we're running, you know, our generators are all like putt-putt jennies that we're running with a team of five um, Mm -hmm. to actually light the whole movie. And then, and it doesn't look like it's lit that much, which is great, which is part of obviously uh, Norm Lee's fantasticness. Um, And yeah, so that was big. Bringing the cast up was big. Finding locations wasn't that difficult because I would written them all mm-hmm. as those locations. The town came out in spades to help us. Uh, incredible, incredibly supportive um, with us. But yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge is gonna be money and it's gonna be, you know, actually being able to shoot the thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Now, I, you, Castlegar, I mean, one of the benefits of shooting there is that it's not a normally short location, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have a, a lot of fresh, uh, fresh landscapes. Um, yeah. I, I imagine that was that was also part of your thinking yeah, process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
1: as a as a, you know, as a Kootz kid, mm-hmm. um, Kootenay kid, like, you always want to shoot it there because it is gorgeous. It's beautiful out there, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very like unique uh, BC landscape um, because it's that valley, particularly, is very blue collar. So nothing, none of the housing and everything is that mm-hmm. especially beautiful, but the landscapes that surround it and the, the two major rivers, the Columbia and the Kootenai that just cut right through it are huge, massive things. And there's dams everywhere and, you know, it's it's dry, but uh, has a ton of pine. So yeah, it's got like a really nice, unique vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of uh, building this was like, Cassagar in general, because it's my hometown, Right. Um, I had a lot of leverage there, and then I brought on another co-producer, Mike Babiard, who's also from there, Mm -hmm. Um, and we tried to just work uh, with the locals and try not to like burn people or anything, and just try to get as much as we could, for as little as we could, just for the movie, not for our own you know, egos. It was just because we couldn't afford to get stuff <laughs> otherwise, right. you know? No, so we had meetings with the uh, city hall and they were, you know, really gracious. And basically gave us a key to the city. You know, we they gave us trucks with like a port potty on it. They gave us um, barriers to shut up streets safely um, as much as we could. Um, yeah, it was like, there was a curfew, but they're like, we're just not gonna listen to the phone calls if they come in until we might not respond to them for a couple hours, but we'll let you know. Uh, fire departments came out, mm-hmm. the Robson Fire Department, Cassigar Fire Department, um, and they were doing Wet Downs for us for free. Like, everybody just wanted to be a part of it. Uh, and it's like, you know, it makes you tear up a little bit on like how cool that was yeah. and how amazing and incredible everybody was. Like, we cast it up there. We did like four full days of casting. Um, yeah, it was just really cool. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. Like, you never get away with that in Vancouver, ever.
0: Oh, that kind of, of like,
1: I don't know, community-driven niceties are like not at all Mm a thing anymore. You know, X-Files really took care of that, but uh, that's always (laughs) the joke we say. (laughs) X-Files burned everything.
0: I believe so. Now, um, did you have to make any adjustments to your script being writer-director based on the circumstances of the filming?
1: Um, Always, yeah, absolutely. Um, Certain things that I had envisioned when I was there you know I hadn't been there in over over 14 years or something by the time I came back because mm-hmm. uh, I'd been in here and i have been in Abu Dhabi and all these different places but uh, yeah there's like a whole section of the car chase scene where I wasn't really sure what that looked like but I wrote it anyway so then we had to adjust and make work and yada yada and there's some locations we didn't even have you know Charlene's house we didn't have when we came um, we didn't have Allison's house we didn't have uh, a few other places but you know like the I knew exactly what the hockey rink's going to be, you know, the Leland house, I knew what that was going to be. I lost my virginity in that house, you know? Okay. Um, and you all You gotta these, put that in. Yeah, exactly. I also, yeah, everybody, everybody who's worked on the film, I walked them into the, the kitchen where I lost my virginity at Leland's house, and I was like, this is, this is where it all started, guys. This is this everything. Can,
0: everything else can change but, but yeah, except the Leland's all house. It's here
1: on this floor. Um, that is an epic story into itself,
0: but, uh, yeah. Okay. That's it for the other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned this briefly before. Um, why was Alison's sexuality a a plot point in the film?
1: Well, it wasn't really. Um, it was uh, just part of her character. So we were also asked uh, to either some of the notes that came back from you know people as they do were to either increase the subplot that is her. Uh, her being a lesbian or just get it out altogether. Okay. And to me, it's not a subplot, it's just who she is. Um, so, okay. Yeah. And it's the idea that, you know, it puts her one peg lower in this small town was important, but it's just, you know, it's 2018. People happen to express who they are and what they are. And, you know, this just happens to be in an insular town. So it, she is looked down upon for it, mm-hmm. um, which adds to her challenge. But it's not to me. It's not a subplot. It's just you know who. It's just a part of her character. It's mm-hmm. a part of you know humanity. So, right. That's how I looked at it.
0: Now, how attached were you to your script? Like you were the kind of you. you wanted the dialogue spoken as written, or did you allow a degree of uh, owning by the actors?
1: No, it was. Yeah, it was a lot of owning by the actors. There's a lot of collaboration with that. Um, the writing itself. Uh, there's obviously certain things that need to be said in order to tell the, the story. And I, I happen to be okay, like I'm pretty good at writing dialogue, um, so most of it is verbatim from the script, Yep. but you know, like Allison, when Allison's going up with Jared, you know, when Diana and Jared are up against each other arguing in the backyard, like, there were points where we needed to hit, but a lot of that is ad-libbed in order to keep the energy going and keep the attitude going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like other scenes with uh, uh, Allison and Lenny when they're at the par- at the parking lot at the pulp mill, like that's almost verbatim to the script mm-hmm. outside of a few little moments here and there. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know, you just kind of adjust and move and if it's not working, which sometimes it doesn't work, then you start rewriting with the actors and, and trying to figure out like what is the scene trying to say and let's just get there. So there's definitely scenes like that with Charlene and Allison on the porch when they're smoking the cigarettes. like. That was a lot of stuff that was rewritten with the actors. Um, yeah, it is a collaborative medium, as much as that is a cliche to hear, it's completely true. So everything we did was, to, was for the betterment of the movie. And, you know, as a director, if you're not taking that, you're losing an opportunity to right. make your film better, so, yeah.
0: Now, we also touched on this point before, um, distribution, like, it's not mm-hmm. a small feat for a Canadian film to get distribution. Like- it is not, no. How was, the, um, how was the pitch to Elevation? Well,
1: that's a funny story, because uh, it was... <laughs> it was uh, BKJ, Brian Kevin Jones, who approached them and was like, hey, I have this project um, I-, I need you guys to sign on to. Uh, and they're like, okay, cool, yeah, just send us a script. And he's like, no, I need to know now if you're on board or not. And they're like, uh... They'd worked with him a bunch and they're like, okay, we're on board. And then he's like, okay, cool. And then he triggered telephone because they really need a telephone and they kinda didn't quite think about it until mm. you know the deadline started coming up and then later on we sent it to elevation and they were like thankfully we actually liked the script. Um, but yeah Brian again it's a good EP Brian just came in and was just like I need you on this and they're like, Okay
0: <laughs> What the term We got the...
1: lucky, we got lucky it's what that is, yeah.
0: But elevation is has a step up considerably like they they fund a few mm. projects per year now. They... Yeah.
1: Plus, Elevation's a really cool company, too, because there's, like, E1 and Elevation in Canada that are the big the big hitters. Um, and I've been working with them for through, you know, festival season and now through the release and everything. And, like, I really love those guys and gals. Um, and, yeah, they, they push hard for the filmmakers. They want to make sure the art talks to the filmmakers. And they want to make sure that, you know, you're... Like, they were trying to spend money in places that weren't marketing in order to get just a better experience for the right. filmmakers and for the people watching. So... You know, they're a really cool company. I really appreciate everything they've done for us. Um, and I cannot believe they just said yes without even reading the script to start. And yeah, we got we got really lucky. I'm hoping that we get to work with them in Canada, like all the time. I've had a really good experience. At this.
0: Are you participating in the distribution plan of the film?
1: The distribution plan? Yeah,
0: or you're just leaving it entirely in their hands?
1: Um, a little bit. Uh, the US, we had nothing really too much to do with it i mean we we gave notes on the trailer because they cut vertical entertainment cut the trailer right um they made the posters outside of the the main one that canada is going to use uh daniel domachowski uh, made that poster so we're very thankful he's an incredibly talented man and a good friend so Mm -hmm. i'm really glad he was able to help us out on that Um, because the art that did come from vertical we were not impressed with um but yeah the trailer is awesome they did a really great work with the trailer uh but they're they're trying to hit a market you know they're trying to hit a very specific u.s market with the trailers that they're doing and it's floating heads and you know huge title face forward you know try and get a girl with a gun Mm -hmm. and try and sell it because that's their main job you know they bought they bought us for quite a bit of money and um at the end after we're done and they got to recoup so that's kind of where their mind's at and i totally get it right uh Elevation was just different because they came in for very little and then they could, you know, and they really want to be filmmaker driven in Canada because the market in general is not going to buy a a floating head picture here because it's just getting people into the theater or getting people on VOD is going to be a lot more important. What's the story of the movie? You know, that's going to be more important to a Canadian audience than it is anything else.
0: So you mentioned your uh, project that is currently doing the rounds in LA and Mm -hmm. Gaza. I mean, for, for the Canadian standards. It's a sizable budget.
1: It is a sizable budget, yeah. What
0: what can you tell me about it? Not the budget, the movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. about the sizable budget. Um, (laughs) No, it's it's an elevated genre movie um, that takes place on sort of two timelines. Uh, One, it it follows like two elderly ladies, um, sort of on a revenge quest Mm -hmm. to track down the people um, that educate you or speak directly to the past and sort of the horrible incident that happened to them in the past. Uh, And and in the past, there's uh, like a polygamous utopia that this family goes to, and, you know, identical twins in this uh, polygamous utopia run by this guy named Truman, who's the sort of the prophet to God Mm -hmm. in this community. And everything's about, um, you know, a a wife is the the best way to Zion. It's like the the most blessed being is to be a good wife to your husband and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. But he's... Sterile as well, so you know he he's been having trouble having children, but he should have at this point. He should have like hundred kids in order to be the prophet that he claims to be. So um, through a sequence of events, bad things happen. All right. I'll say that much.
0: Now you wrote that script. I did. Yeah. Are you attached to direct as well, or no? Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I'm attached to direct that one. Um, CAA actually represents me now um, since Hollow, or they came on board for Hollow. Um, knowing that uh, sort of hollow in the Land would be right behind it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A Hollow in the Land, sorry, that coin Eddie would be right behind it. Um, it's a good title by
0: the way, Hollow in the Land.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. Titles are hard, man, titles are really hard. Uh, yeah, and Hollow is like, you know, a Hollow, hollow in the Land is literally translated as a hollowed out piece of land, like a valley, which it all takes place in, and then, you know, Allison is this hollow being um, in her own land, so, you know, it, it worked as a double entendre. So to speak, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we went through so many iterations of different titles of how to get there. I should say I did. The amount of titles that I came up with were intense, but yeah, Mars, Marlena, and, uh, and Jesse um, were imperative to actually get that through okay. and really push and push and push. But
0: yeah, uh, going back to your experience as a director, um, having worked on shorts. What practical differences did you feel that you were not expecting in directing a feature?
1: Directing a feature versus
0: uh, a short, yeah, I've worked... Some, I mean, you can imagine what, but something that you weren't really expecting to having to yeah. deal
1: with. I've been working in film for like 14 years, mm-hmm. so I've... The, the, the on-set time was like, that was going to be my realm, that's what I felt comfortable, that's my, you know, that's my church. Um, so that, I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, Physically and mentally and the one thing that nobody really prepares you for is the emotional toll it takes on you Um, Especially when you are the writer and you get notes from literally everybody Um, And you got to balance your ego with what's better what's best for the movie And that's really hard to do and you're never sure if you made the right choice and by the time the movie was done um, Like once we actually shot it and everything like I went through a massive depression went through depression for like a year I could not I could not write anything new, I just had, you know, we had to get the movie done and I hated everything. I thought I let everybody down and I just, I just, I was in a horrible place Mm -hmm. and I was blaming people left, right, and center for things that went wrong Mm -hmm. on the film that nobody's going to see. It's just shit that I see, but it's nothing um, that an audience is going to see. And yeah, that was one thing that I just was not prepared for, was how emotionally trying it was going to be. And you know, it's been... We shot it in 2015, so it's you know it's been almost three years. Well, it's been two 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 years in a bit, and I'm finally in a spot at which I feel confident confident again. You know, it really it rocked my entire world, um, and nobody warns you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they can warn you about that until you until you're in it.
0: Looking at the future, you think you can function from here, or do you <laughs> or do you plan to do you plan to move to the to the states?
1: Oh, function here, yeah. I thought you meant function No, no not like, emotionally, emotionally, but physically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I don't really want to move to the States. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know. I really don't know. I think I'd like to continue to function from um, British Columbia. I love British Columbia. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be in Vancouver, or if it's going to be on an island somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I've considered going to Toronto, uh, just because there's a lot more money in Toronto, um, and there's a lot more like commercial work in Toronto. But yeah, LA, I like LA. It's beautiful, it's sunny. I don't mind that at all. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I'm a very, I'm a small town fella, I'm a down to earth fella, I'm honest and I particularly um, rub on anybody who's not honest, you know. And you can see a lack of transparency in Hollywood everywhere you go, everywhere you go. Everybody's out to do something a little bit more and you know, I don't blame them. It's a hard town to work in. But I just, the vibe is a little weird uh, at times. And even, you know, talking with my agent uh, and my managers, like, if they don't tell me the truth, I'd be very upset with them, mm-hmm. you know? And I need to know it exactly how it is. I don't need anything beat around the bush. Like, you need to tell me what the fuck's going on. Um, but- and yeah, so, will I move to LA? I don't know. I, it's, a, again, a beautiful place. I go to the beach all day. Doesn't sound horrible. No.
0: <laughs> Do you have a timeline for your next project?
1: Um, currently, no, but we're, we're actively in talks with some people um, to try and do it like at the end of this year. Yep. To try and roll on something at the end of this year, but I don't really know, okay. to be honest. Yeah. I can't say for certain anything. It's like anybody says, it's like um, every movie definitely goes and then never goes. So, you know, you can't bank on anything going. Mean, it took us a year just to get through financing for this film and it was going and then it wasn't going and then it was going and then it wasn't going and that was also extremely emotionally trying to begin with. So movies are hard. How any movie gets made, especially in the spheres, is Indie Sphere is still yeah beyond me. It's uh I have no idea, it's like a weird magical thing that just kind of appears and <laughs> literal smoke and mirrors and then all of a sudden you're done and you're wondering what happened.
0: Yeah. Indeed. Oh, Scooter Kerkel! Thank you so much for talking to the Canadian Crew. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Our thanks to Scooter Korkle for that candid conversation. Hollow in the Land will open this Friday, January twenty-six, in Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Calgary, Halifax, Ottawa, and of course, Castlegar. It will also be available on demand the same day. Remember, you can reach us on Twitter at the Can Crew, on Facebook at the Canadian Crew page, or write us to the Canadian Crew email, all one word, on Gmail. Also, you can help us keep The Canadian Crew ad-free by contributing at thecanadiancrew.com contribute. I'm Jorge Castillo. Until next time.